listening to First Church Charlotte. I was going to put off starting a new series today, which I wanted to do, um, but I, I'm so sick of stuff. I'm sick of COVID. I'm sick of ABCD and Delta COVID and Omicron COVID and just shoot me now strain. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of snow. I just want to have church with people who love God. That, that's, is that too much to ask? And so I said, hang, <laughs> hang it. Uh, we're just going to start our series for the first of the year. And I never started right on the first because you know you're backslid from the holidays. You know you need a little bit of time to get the tree put away and uh, other stuff happen. But we're into it now. Uh, my title for the next uh, Sunday or two or three is simply this, Rebuild. And the context of Scripture is Kings chapter number 18 and verse number 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people approached him, and what did he do when he had gathered them and he had their attention? The Bible says he repaired and rebuilt. He repaired. Somebody say it with me. He repaired and rebuilt the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Now, if you read this in the Amplified, you'll see that they have added uh, some text to help it read uh, with clarity. He repaired and rebuilt the old altar of the Lord that had been torn down by Jezebel. Uh, this is a moment of spiritual revival for the house of Israel, the people of the covenant. Uh, they had been chosen by God because of a covenant made through their father, the patriarch Abraham, and that covenant was renewed in Isaac and renewed in Jacob and given by divine promise. Let me remind you that God keeps his promises. It was renewed by divine promise to all the children, the inheritance of that covenant, the extended generations. Uh, I, I want to say if you were so benefited in your life to have had a praying parent, even if all of your parents weren't particularly spiritual, maybe one more than the other, like that was my situation. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> um, if you just had one praying parent, it was a blessing to you and is a continuing blessing uh, in your life. Why do I say that? Oh, I hope somebody will hear me today. If God keeps track of every tear that is shed, don't think for a moment that he forgets the prayers prayed by the intercessor on their face before God saying, if there's just five righteous in the city, will you save that city? The prayers of the intercessor are a continuing gift of spiritual blessing, inheritance, and favor in your life. How many of you had a praying parent in your background, a praying grandmother, grandfather in your background? I'm thankful for you today. You are blessed abundantly because of that. These people have, they've lost their way. Now, 
we can't really look down our ecclesiastical nose at them because we all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all of us, not just the people in the carnal section, but we all of us have turned what? Each to our own way. What is our way, our interests, our distractions, our to-do lists? Our temporal dreams and wishes. Excuse me. <coughs> Just a little bit of a COVID carrying cough for you here today. Uh, I want you. <laughs> Does anybody else feel guilty every time you have to clear your throat or cough? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And again, I say ridiculous. Anyway, moving along from the COVID carrying creeper. So many people are sick right now with this latest variant that we're having to adjust uh, the things the church is doing. True story, we've spent this last week trying to make sure we had enough teachers to continue first kids. Uh, it's affecting small groups. Uh, it is, real quick, public service announcement, it is a short-term hassle, uh, another wave of apathy and frustration, yes, but long-term, it will be a blessing because, believe it or not, I actually think that this variant being so contagious is how we finally put COVID in our rearview mirror. Let it be Lord in Jesus' name as quickly as possible. <laughs> oh, my, I'm so glad to be back. I keep having jokes that I don't let myself tell. That's why I laugh like that is I have a joke that I don't let myself tell because my parents are here. <laughs> <laughs> best behavior, y'all, best behavior. There's a moment of challenge to the house of Israel. Why? Here's why. They need challenge. They need to be challenged. They're not where they're supposed to be in God. I pray that you have the gift of spiritual challenge in your life when you're not where you're supposed to be. I pray you have the gift of divine rebuke in your life when you're not where you are supposed to be. And I pray that rather than debating God, arguing with God, you discover the profound joy of simply humbling yourself and saying, yes, Lord, not my way, but your way. Uh, this is what is happening here in this moment of revival. Uh, and he has the competing theology, shall we say. Elijah does. He has this competing moment to see what Baal can do. Um, I think this is important because uh, most of us have to try the things of the world before we really, really uh, learn the deepest lessons. Uh, I, I wish that weren't so. I wish that we didn't have to make our own mistakes. Um, but it seems like we do. I've worked with a lot of people, and I've looked in the mirror more than five times. And I, I want to say there seems to be something about human nature where the best, the best lessons are learned when you're the one shedding tears. I, I wish it weren't that way. I, I wish that we could just let other people's experience be wisdom enough for us. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the nature of humankind. And I want to say this to all of you. God doesn't give up on you after your hard lesson. But he invites you back to a relationship, a place of anointing and favor uh, in his kingdom and in his hand. And can some mercy folks say amen? amen. And so uh, these people, they, they, they really, they need to be shown. And so Elijah says, look... 
I'm not just another religious voice trying in some way to manipulate you, to get you to buy on to my social media plan. I'm not just trying to get you to subscribe, like and subscribe to my uh, Twitter account. I, I, I'm really, I, I, I need you to get beyond the stories you tell yourself, and I need you to open your eyes to what and where real divine power is. And so they have this demonstration of the believers in Baal, the deity of Baal, the priests of Baal, and it's, it's not a very pretty, pretty picture. I, I know us preacher types, we, we oftentimes love to tell this story because it's great fun. You know, you get to have Elijah's over sitting on the sidelines. He's drinking Dr. Pepper, you know, and out here you have the prophets of Baal. All preachers do this. Don't look at me like it's just me. Everybody does this, and, and they're out there, oh, answer by fire, answer by fire, and Elijah's like, yawn. Maybe he didn't hear you. Maybe you should cry louder. Everybody has fun with that, um, but on, shall I say, besides the fun of it, there's something very spiritually profound happening in this very moment, and this basically this, will people who were called to a higher spiritual destiny see through the deception of their generation and return their heart of devotion to the one who gave them spiritual covenant. That's really what's going on here. Uh, we have fun with it, but we need to see the deeper underlying reality. <coughs> and so I haven't preached in two weeks, and so my voice is not really liking uh, getting along with this raised in. Uh, invocation of sound, shall we say. Uh, Elijah does something where he, after the, dis, after the believers in Baal have been outed as frauds, after the priests have been outed as frauds, what happens? Uh, he calls the people to him. Now, uh, we don't know all the details of this moment, but there is uh, some interesting commentary from various scholars who talk about possibilities. Um, it could be that he took them, he led them, as it were, to some place in the city where that was known there had once been an altar there. And some people think that's why the emphasis there is on the, the, the former altar of God or the old altar of God or that idea, that image. Whatever the case, Elijah moves them from where they've been he moves them to a place, and then with them watching, he rebuilds an altar. Let me, let me say that again because I want you to get it. He gets their attention, and then he builds an altar. He doesn't build the altar and then get their attention. Oh, is anybody in this house hearing me what I'm trying to say here? He wants them to see him build the altar. There is a truth that is of a spiritual nature, and it goes like this, and I will uh, really use it as a theme today. It goes like this. Yes, God can do anything. Yes, God can answer by fire. Yes, God can create worlds. God can let volcanoes heave out of the mantle of the earth and create mountains. God can speak and the impossible becomes possible. God can do anything beyond our understanding, beyond our insight. But you will notice one thing that God will not do for you. God will not build your altars. 
God will put fire on your altars. God will even put a sacrifice on your altar. Remember Abraham offering a sacrifice. And the angel says, uh, calm down there, whoa, trigger. Don't lay your hand on your son. God has provided for himself a sacrifice. I wish someone would hear me today and let this ring in your soul. God will provide the fire. And God will provide the sacrifice. But God will not build your altar for you. An altar becomes in the manner of your own place and time, your sacred spot. And you say, it is here that I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. God will not build an altar for you. Oh, he'll put a sacrifice on it and he'll let fire fall on it. But God will not build your altar. You have to find a place. And you say, this place is going to be more than just a place to me. This place is going to be where I call upon the name of the Lord. This place is going to be a sacred place. Me. I'm going to build here an altar of stones and I'm going to arrange them in such a way that the dew of the earth cannot quench this fire. And they're going to be arranged in such a way that this fire will be seen as holy but it will not destroy everything in my world. It is a sacred place. I'm gathering stones here. I am building an altar here, and I'm asking God to give a holy sacrifice upon it, and I'm asking God to open the fire of heaven and let fire fall upon it. People, I'm not just here to show you a miracle. I'm here to show you how to build an altar. Elijah's not worried about the people who got bored and walked away. They need to learn and see him build an altar. He does, they don't need to see a prayer where, God, if you will provide an altar, then we will, uh, you know, have a service. No. Uh, he is looking uh, uh, for us to build that altar. And so this beautiful image of Scripture, Elijah gets the attention of the people. Y'all come with me. Pay attention. I'm going to do something here. And what he does is as lesson number one, exhibit A, he shows them how to rebuild an altar. Uh, today we don't offer sacrifices of an Old Testament nature. We don't offer sacrifices of blood. The only blood sacrifice that we uh, have access to or need access to happened at Calvary where Jesus became the Lamb of God for sinners slain. It's the only sacrifice you need in your life is to know that Christ died for your sins. The only thing you need to know is not whether or not you've lived a perfect life. Uh, you haven't. You just need to know if a perfect life has been lived. And the answer is yes, a perfect life has been lived. And then you need to know, is there any way that when the death angel comes into my life, 
is there any way that the death angel can look at that perfect life and not at my imperfect life? And I have good news for you today. It's called the gospel. And it goes like this. Yes, when judgment comes into your life, he will look to see if a life of covering has been lived in your stead. Oh, folks, this is the gospel. You need to know how to communicate the gospel. You see, the difference in the believer and the unbeliever is not that one of them lives a perfect life and one of them lives an imperfect life. That's not the difference. The difference is not that one of them is perfect and one of them ain't even trying. No, that's not the difference. The difference is that one of them has applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of their life. And when judgment comes to visit, oh, hallelujah, it does not look at my imperfect life. It looks at the perfect life that Christ has lived. Oh, praise God, somebody. Somebody <laughs> praise God in this house right now for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, in the same manner that we have no risk of living a perfect life, if any of you think that you're close to living a perfect life, <laughs> I have some people in the church I'd like to introduce you to. <laughs> And they will see through that junk in five seconds, and they will bring you on down to the earth. It's like two country preachers, true story, were having a fight with one another, and they couldn't get along, still in each other's saints. It's a true story from North Louisiana. And one of them got up at a district event and prophesied over the other one and said, come thee down off the high horse. You think you're something, but you're not. I don't know if the spirit was in that, that prophecy that day, but we'll just give them an A for effort, and they maybe got a little carnal uh, that day. But I want to say this, this, this to all of you uh, here today. Um, there's no risk of us living a perfect life. Uh, and yet that said, we need uh, covering and we need uh, sacrifice, and uh, Christ will provide a sacrifice, and Christ will even provide the fire uh, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Somebody say power. power. Dunamis, that's where we get the, the, our word for dynamite, the dynamite power of the Holy Ghost. Just spend some time there and uh, forget about what's going on around you and call upon the name of the Lord. You might be surprised what God can do in and through you. And so on the day of Pentecost, what happens? They receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, fulfilling uh, what had happened in the uh, temple of Solomon when the fire fell. You guys have heard me preach it before. Uh, what do we do if God has provided the sacrifice and, and, and God has provided the fire? What do we do in our lives? Well, in the same manner that the house of Israel built altars and built tabernacles and, watch, built temples, God did not build their altar and God did not build their tabernacle and God did not build their temple, but he was the fire in the temple and he was the purity in the holy of holies. He was the Shekinah, but he didn't build the altar. What is our relationship to the holiness of God? Uh, there's no risk of us being holy. I'm glad you tried. You did not succeed. It's not our holiness. It's God's holiness. But what do we do? 
What is our part? In the same manner that they built an altar and they did what they could to make a place appropriate, to make it sacred, and they say, I will hallow this place. I will call upon the name of the Lord here. In the same manner, we take our life such as it is and we begin to turn toward the things of God and we begin to say less of me and more of him, less of my bitterness and more of his purity. Less of my anger and more of his righteousness. Less of my intemperance and more of his long-suffering kindness. And you know what that feels like? It feels like work. Nobody said amen. I'm going to say it again. This time I'm going to get some amens in this house. I've had to preach two hours. Working on you feels a lot like work. It's hard, hard work. Working on your temper is hard, hard work. Don't you wish that God would build the altar for you? No, he'll provide an escape from judgment for you. But you will not manifest who he is in your life if you just let him do all the work of spiritual being and spiritual becoming. In the same manner, we do the hard work of building an altar, a sacred place within our heart, and building a temple. What? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? As a result of that, you ought to live better. (laughs) As a result of that, you ought to try harder. You ought to repent of your sins. You ought to confess to a spiritual brother or sister or mentor in your life. You should worry about purity, not because you're ever going to be good enough to be saved. No, because you are the temple. All right, so if we're going to rebuild... What does rebuilding in our life look like? For that time, we have this great image of Elijah rebuilding. What does rebuilding look like for us? Well, I, for the purposes of this Bible study, I would like to say I think it most resembles the continual work of crucifying the flesh and choosing the way the thoughts, the values, and the things of God. The hard work of continually turning away from the flesh, continually turning away from the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eye, the pride of life. That conti- And this is what it feels like, W-O-R-K. It feels not just like work. It feels like stinking hard work turning away. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 18. As God's Spirit works within us, we are being transformed. Notice the process, the work in progress. We are being transformed to become more like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord. God is working on us. How? Through his spirit. And what's something we know biblically about the spirit? We know that we can quench the spirit. All right? How is God working on you? Somebody say through his spirit. We know biblically we can quench the Spirit. In other words, you can choose whether or not you are doing the hard work, the steady marching progress, the day-after-day spiritual discipline of saying, I want to be more like Jesus. You see, you can quench the Spirit. How is the Spirit working in our life? The Spirit 
is like a calling to us. It's like a, a leading us. It is like a guiding us. It is like a voice to a patriarch that says, can you believe that I can fulfill promise in you? And Abraham has to decide, yes or no, can I believe? But if Abraham can believe, then everything has been changed. So it is the spirit in your life. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He doesn't show up and swat you. <laughs> you know how the SWAT team comes and they ram your door down and they run in your house and they're screaming at you and then they jump on you and tackle you and maybe kill seven people in your house. Who knows what's going on? Uh, God doesn't swat you. He stands at the door and knock. And then what happens? He comes in and he handcuffs you and he ties you up and he says, listen here, buddy, this is an intervention. No, that's not what he does. What does he do? He sits down as though he were having dinner with you. Well, do we know what it's like when Jesus sits down to have dinner with you? Uh, actually, Thank you for asking. We know what it's like when Jesus sits down to have dinner with you. In the Bible, we see him again and again eating dinner with people. He eats dinners with sinners, and what does he say to them? He asks them the kind of question that awakens within them a sense of, is this the kind of life I want to have? And when they come out of that dinner, they are changed, and they go make everything that was wrong. They make it right. We see him. In fact, let me, let me just throw this out here uh, for your uh, listening pleasure. The only people who could have dinner with Jesus and not be changed by it were religious people. <laughs> Everybody else was changed by God spending time with them. There's something that happens in our spiritual life when we lose our sense of our desperate neediness that in some way builds callous over us where God can no longer touch us, no longer convict us. We are convinced that we have arrived. God save us from that pharisaical demon and let us be like a sinner in the presence of the Lord. And he asked the question and we say, man, I need to think about that. My goodness, I should have done better. I can try harder. So the Lord stands at the door and knocks and he invites you to come in. And then he challenges you. God does not force you. The spirit leads, but the spirit can be quenched. The spirit can be ignored. Why is personal change so hard? Uh, I, I would say personal change is one of the hardest things any of us do. Uh, I, <laughs> let me give you a handful of reasons. I jotted these down uh, yesterday. A few reasons why personal change is so hard and why personal, um, making any kind of real life change just feels like it's going to break you into pieces. Number one, um, everything that you ha are doing, good or bad, are habits. <laughs> it's not just the good stuff you do that's a habit. The bad stuff is a habit too. Secondly, I tend to confuse what I do with how I am. The result of that is when I uh, change what I do, um, <laughs> um, I oftentimes have myself this sense of being unmoored from whom I am. Number three, my bad habits aren't just bad habits. They're often coping mechanisms. 
Some of the most damaging habits in your life are how you have coped with trouble without God. And that's why they're so hard to change. They're not just a habit. They're a coping mechanism. And until you learn how to really trust in God, you're going to go back to that habit as a coping mechanism. Very few people are in addiction because they want to be addicted. There was a time when they wanted what that could give them, but the dirty secret of all addiction is it slowly loses its ability to um, uh, reinforce and activate the endorphins in your brain. And so now you're just addicted, uh, and the great pleasure, the great joy that once was there for a season, if you want to be biblical, is increasingly lost to you. Your bad habits are more than bad habits. They are coping mechanisms, uh, and until you learn to really trust in God, you're going to go back to your your bad habits because you still need to cope. And the fourth reason why uh, change is so hard for us is uh, the enemy leverages both the sin of our own actions and commissions uh, and secondly, the difficulty when we try to overcome. Uh, Let me say it this way. Um, The devil will use sin to destroy you, and then when you try to quit sin, he will show up and he will try to point out to you why you shouldn't try to quit. There's no potential change in you that the devil will not fight. So what does it take for real change? Now, I'm going to give you real quick a survey of what rebuilding altars, rebuilding temples, rebuilding tabernacles, what it looks like spiritually in this day and age. Remember, we don't build altars like they did in the Old Testament, but we can learn by how he, the prophet, intentionally before everyone rebuilds an altar. We don't rebuild temples like they did in the Old Testament. Uh, We don't sew together uh, tabernacles of goats, hide, dyed red like they did in the Old Testament. But that is not to say we don't rebuild. It's just in this hour, we are the temple. And the challenge of our life is to do what we can do because God will not build your altar and God will not build your temple. He will put sacrifice upon it and he will let fire fall within it. Real change, number one, begins with a renewed mind. Ephesians 4.23, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Can I have a big amen on that? How about Ephesians 4, verse number 17? Don't keep living as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused in their thinking. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They're far away from the life God gives because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong, and they've indulged themselves in all kinds of immorality, evil thinking, and the constant desire for more. Real change begins with a changed mind or to speak in a... Uh, a way the Apostle Paul would approve approve of, a renewed mind. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. How about Ephesians 4, verse number 23? I love how CEV says it. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. So number one, change is going to start with changed thoughts. Change is going to start with changed mindsets, changed attitudes. And if you can't change your attitude, you're never going to change your actions. 
Just let that be a blessing to you if you'd like to write that down and send me a big offering later on this week when it blesses you increasingly. Amen. Number two, real change requires you to submit your narrative to God's truth. You see, all of us cope through the stories we tell ourselves. We all create reasons why we failed at this and reasons why we didn't do that. When people quit church, um, they never say, look, I just don't want to go to church anymore. No, they always have a story that in some way smooths the process of self-justification. That is what I mean by your narrative. What story are you telling yourself? A lot of people aren't attending church right now because they have a story. Uh, and that's why they are not attending. Lots of people are kind of uh, slipping in their faith because they have a story. Uh, It might be this, it might be that, but their story is not their friend. Their story is them living their lie. And real change requires us to humble and submit our story to God's truth. Jesus says, John 17 and 17, Use the truth, he's praying. Use the truth to make them complete. Jesus praying to uh, the Father. Use the truth to make them complete. Your word is truth. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or made a lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more, notice becoming. This passage in Ephesians 4 is all about us becoming more like Christ. We will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And finally, verse number 21, the same chapter, since you have heard all about him, you have learned the truth that is in Jesus. So what was the first step of rebuilding us? rebuilding our consecration. Oh, I pray that I, when I preach this message that there's a voice in you that's stronger than all the distraction in you. I pray there's a hunger in you that's stronger than all the other interests and hobbies of your life. And there's something in you that says, I don't want to lose my real deep relationship with God. I don't want to lose my authentic fellowship with God. I don't want to just do life by my own delusions. I want to know you. I want to know you in power. I want to know you in character. I want to know you in calling. I want to know you in purpose. I want to know you even in suffering. I must know you. First, renewed mind. Secondly, you've got to submit your narrative to God's truth. Third, uh, you have to make a commitment uh, that What is happening in your mind and spirit is going to be expressed in your practical life choices. Um, It's so easy for us to live, in some ways, two somewhat isolated lives. There's church ush, ush. (laughs) Watch it. (laughs) Ush runs with slush. Uh, There's church ush. uh, Man. (sighs) Jesus, take the wheel. There's church us, and then there's career us. Ooh, I went there. Now you're mad at me. I don't even care. I'm going home. I'll have to preach once a day. Feels like vacation. There's church us, 
Thank you, sir. Blessings upon you. I'm not sharing my money this week with you, my salary. I'm keeping it all for myself. But thank you for making me better. (laughs) The church us and the career us, life us, neighbor us. That's not really how we do spiritual life, my brothers and my sisters. What's happening in our mind and spirit must be expressed in our practical choices. Ephesians 4, 22. So get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to. The old self that was being destroyed by its deceitful desires. How about Hebrews 12, verse number 1. We must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially any sin that distracts us. So we can run the race that lies ahead of us. Number 4. Real change requires requires honest spiritual community. Honest spiritual community. You were not intended to do life alone. You were not intended to do worship alone. You were not intended to do relationship with God alone. You were not intended to do ministry, calling, spiritual purpose alone. You are meant to be joined together with other spiritual people. It is, uh, this, this truth is real. Um, if you're going to change, you're not going to do it in isolation. Um, you're going to do it in uh, honest spiritual community. Ephesians 4 verse number 25, this is the message translation. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other's. Each other's. Man, I'm just making everything plural today, aren't I? Uh, Each other. So if you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and loving to each other, forgiving each other just as God forgave you in Christ. Verse 29, same chapter, never use harmful words, but speak only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Some of y'all just need to let the scripture just ease on down. Those harmful words, they need to be sent into the last year. And this year, we need to speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Real spiritual change requires spiritual community. Number five, uh, mentors matter. If you want to speed up, If you want to go faster, you need spiritual mentors in your life. Again, back in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, Christ gifted some of us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that his people would learn to serve and his body would grow strong. This will continue until we are united by our faith and understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature just as Christ is and we will be completely like him. Mentors can make you they can speed you up quite a lot. They can, suffer, they can help you avoid suffering. They can help you uh, see with clarity something you are wrestling with. Musicians, you can come. I am uh, wrapping up here. Uh, number six, uh, if you're going to make changes in your life, if you're going to rebuild altars, if you're going to rebuild your consecration to God, if you're going to rebuild your character, if you're going to rebuild your ethics, if this year... It's natural for us to kind of go into a new year with spending some time thinking about changes we want to make. A year is a suitable amount of time for us to really make progress if we choose to do so. It's natural and normal for us to go to a new year and think of things we're going to do different, things we're going to 
We're going to be and become in God. And I hope all of you have some sense of that in your life. I hope every one of you look at this coming year with this sense of, I don't want uh, to make some of the mistakes this year that I made last year. Anybody feel that way here today? Well, we have a handful of people here being honest. Praise God for those. The rest of you who have lived a great 2021's blessings upon you. I, I hate you a little bit, but other than that, we're glad you're here. <laughs> I'm just having fun, as I should say. I want you to see that all of us are striving. What do we do when we recognize that God could get more out of his investment in us if we would turn our hearts toward him and try? What do we do when we recognize that the temptation of being at ease in Zion is always there, always singing us to sleep? What do we do when we recognize that if we're not going to have revival, what church are we expecting to have revival? What do we do when we come to wake up and realize that, you know, if we're not going to pray, who exactly in this city are we expecting to pray? What do we do when convicted in our spirit, we stand before the presence of God and say, it's me, O Lord. It's not my neighbor, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me, oh Lord. I need your unction upon me. I need to build an altar of covenant and consecration to you. You will not build the altar for me. Oh, you'll burn the sacrifice upon the altar. Uh, You'll place a sacrifice upon the altar. You will do what you can do and you could build an altar, but you will not Because you have established within us that we separate ourselves from a a world of sin by choosing to live a certain way, by choosing to have a certain attitude of faith and confidence. Oh God, draw us near to you, we pray today in Jesus' name. Does anyone feel that way today? Hopefully it's not just in me. Hopefully in every one of you there's this sense that, man, I need to walk with God this year. Lord, I'm praying that as a church we would walk with you this year, Lord. I'm praying that every one of our ministries would not simply be effort of carnal hands and hearts, Lord, but it would in some way be an ark that carries the Shekinah wherever it is. Every ministry we do, Lord, let it be an ark filled with Shekinah, we pray, oh God. Every small group, every, every service, let it, let it, let it be, a, as it were, an ark of covenant filled with the Shekinah glory of God. Let it happen in this house this year, we pray, O oh Lord. We will build the altar that you might fall upon it in glory and power. In Jesus' name. You must base your confidence. This is number six. You must base... Well, let me say it this way. As you make changes, you must not base your confidence on your actions. You must not base confidence on your emotions. You must not base confidence upon your your current level of spirituality or perceived accomplishment. You must let your confidence remain in God and His power. We can't start in faith and then end in works. This is what I'm saying and why I'm ending with this. If you're like the rest of us, the hard work of personal change is going to feel like this. You're going to do good, three steps forward, and then what's going to happen? You're going to have one or two steps back. Some of you may have 2.8 steps back. It's worse than that, actually. I have at times made 
three steps forward and 7.9 steps back. It's quiet because you're convicted. I know. If your confidence is based on how good you did, that's all it will take for you to quit. It can't be built upon that. It has to be built upon faith in God. Because Abraham is going to make a mess of things in Egypt. But when he comes back to the land God has given him, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to rebuild an altar. Did you hear what I just said? He made a mess in Egypt. He lied. And that's just part of the story. <laughs> but when he comes back, what's he going to do? The first thing he's going to do is he's going to rebuild an altar. This is an image of personal change in all of us. My confidence is not on my goodness. It's on his promise. Now, my actions are what I'm doing and where I'm at, but my confidence is not in my actions. You cannot begin in faith and then continue in works. Works are not about your worthiness. You're never going to get there, lest you should boast. Works are your worship to God. It's a love story you tell God. Because I love you, I'm getting back up from this sin I've fallen into again. Because I love you, I'm not letting this be the end of my story. I'm going to try and try again. You see, I don't have to be here. I choose to be here. I'm not a slave. I'm a love slave. <laughs> I'm not here by against my will. I choose to be here. And me going back to rebuild an altar is not about me being good enough for God. That's never going to happen. But it's all about me saying, God, I don't want to do it without you. I don't want to walk without you. I want to do... I don't want to do life without you. So I'm inviting everyone here today, all of you watching, wherever you are, to pray this prayer. Or maybe we should make it a statement of, of, of truth that we speak or an affirmation we say to ourselves. And we, we admit this, first of all, I'm far from perfect. 2021 was far from perfect. But because I love God, I'm rebuilding altars in my life. I had some attitudes in 2021. I didn't have them all the time, but I had a few of them get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all were there, and y'all saw my bad attitude. I know you thought that it was impossible because in every other regard, my life seemed so perfect. But there in that moment, you saw my bad attitude. But because I love him, that bad attitude's not going to be the end of me. I'm never going to be good enough to deserve salvation. But I love him. He first loved me. If God never does another thing for me, I owe him my best effort for the rest of my life. You see, if, if God never heals me again, I have enough healing stories to clap my hands until I'm too old to clap. And then, to, you know, do whatever I can do then. Then. If God does, I love him. This is a love story. But there's something interesting about this love story. You show your love by going back and trying again. Repent again. Is, are you, can you receive that today? Repent again.
make a list again. (laughs) Confession's good for the soul again. Get a spiritual brother and sister and create an accountability circle again. Find a spiritual mentor, a, a relationship of trust again. Why? Because I don't want to do life without him. Stand with me all across this house. We are going to rebuild our lives in God. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here today. I'm praying first for myself and then for everyone that can hear everyone under the sound of my voice. I'm praying here today that we would see how we honor you, how we manifest real love, how we show true worship by turning again and again from the ways of the flesh. And we say less of me and more of you, oh God. We say less of this world, but more of you, oh God. We say take this whole world, but give me Jesus. We catch ourselves in carnality and we say, no, that's not what I'm going for. I repent of that. I turn away from that. I call upon you, oh God. Let this church have the feel of people always turning away from self and always saying, not me and mine, not me and my wishes, my wants, my longings, but God, I want to please you. I want to show you with my actions, my heart, my word, my ethics, my praise, my generosity, my giving, my my serving. I want to show you that the love of God is not just from heaven to earth, but it is celebrated here on earth and returned. And our love flows heavenward because this is a relationship, a union of real divine love. And out of that comes new eternal life. And we become the bride of Christ in Jesus' name. Oh, praise God somebody. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.